Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies into their own Hall of Fame. Roll the camera. Hey guys and welcome to another episode of the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. I am Matt Levy and I am joined as always by... Mark Rossi, how are we doing today? Doing good. You know, excited to to discuss another movie that we're inducting into the hall. That's like that's two episodes in a row. I think we're we're really back on the path, you know. We're in our groove again, and I think the listeners knew at some point I'd be back. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I went with an opening corny joke, Mark. That's what the people tune in for. That's what they wanted. But anyway, you're right, Mark. We're back, and we're back with a vengeance. We're back with Judgment Day. We're back with the sequel, what people consider, like, the sequel of all sequels. I mean, there's lists. It's up there. Yeah, I mean, there's lists on the internet of the best sequels. And we talked about one, like, Empire Strikes Back is probably one of them. Some of them I hold in higher esteem than others. Like, I love Back to Future 2, but I think mm-hmm. most people think the first one's the better film. Aliens, people still think the first is the better film, but Aliens is a good film. Aliens is also strong. But this is the first one that people just about unanimously say it's the much, much better film than the first. And like Empire, now I'll let you I'll let you comment on this, but Empire is not a significantly better film than the first. I mean, there's a conversation. I can't think of many movies, Mark, that are the better of the two and the sequel of all sequels. Yeah, this is definitely in rarefied air where you really it's it's not like this was pitched to be like a a trilogy, right? This is just continuing his story and kind of it concludes in a spot where you're like, that could be just the end of it. Right. It's, It's not trying to set up another movie after it. So to take what was a surprise success and then really ramp it up for the sequel and make it, I I think, a better movie all, all overall in almost all aspects is really rare as you were saying it like emp personally it's my it's my number one star wars film but at the time it was not like thought of highly when it came out like this was thought of highly as soon as it came out it's been thought of highly retrospectively so it it's it's just so rare that you have that type of improvement in all aspects of like the film from one to another yeah so let's talk about that because 1984, we talked about the first movie, and it was a moderate success. It was more of, it had more horror tones to it. I'd say there's a very different tonal shift seven years later to 1991. So the film we're talking about today, Terminator 2, they, they, in the branding was T2, but this was Judgment Day is what they called the code name, 1991. And let's talk about that. Would you say, Mark, there's a big tonal shift? It has a different feel than the original film? Definitely. I think you you hit the nail on the head in saying that the first film seemed a little more horror-influenced. You feel the stalking of of the Terminator very immediately in his introduction in the film. And there's a slight nod and allusion to that in the opening of this film here, uh, where you're like, oh, are we kind of continuing that same type of tone? But as soon as he acquires clothing and a motorcycle and sunglasses and they they queue up bad to the bone you're like something's different like there there's there's moments where you have that ominous tone where you have 
either of the two Terminators, the the T-1000 and the T-800, but it it definitely has a much more of a a blockbuster feel, right? Yeah. Than than the original film. Yeah, and the original that's film going to be budgeting, but also the the way that they kind of infuse a little more humor and I think a little more heart into this movie made it a little more three dimensional. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right about the budget, but I don't know that the money made the film feel so different. I think the first film, horror, it might not be the right word. It's a more suspense, thrilling mm-hmm. action, and there was a bit more drama. The scenes between like Kyle. And Linda Sarah. Hamilton, thank you. Sarah Connor, one of the most famous known characters <laughs> in, in film history. There's definitely chemistry. There's a seriousness. There's a, a they're very serious, I would say, their tone throughout mm-hmm. a lot of their engagements. While this one takes a, a, a lighter approach. And yes, it's right from kind of Arnold getting the glasses, getting on the bike. And everything kind of going f- afterwards through that has this blockbuster feel, which Blockbuster has been around since Star Wars, Jaws. These films were all considered early blockbusters. But here you get more of the, the action approach, where it was like this action right. summer film, which you got with films like Independence Day, which came out years after this. And that mm-hmm. became like a, a summer thing. And this movie did come out July 4th weekend of 1991. And this kind of just feels like your summer blockbuster. Right, the summer blockbuster. I call it the popcorn flick, but when I'm saying it, I I don't think it's a derogatory term. There's like there's a lane that movies can go into, and if you're into like popcorn flick territory, sometimes it's just like just fun, like unabashed, unfiltered fun, where you kind of just shut your brain off. You have a you have a, a Terminator that's made of liquid metal that's like walking through bars, so you you kind of have to shut your brain off a little bit. But yeah, this is this is definitely like you alluded to. It's a, a massive tonal shift from the first movie, and I think it does it in a way that you don't have to like throw the baby with the bathwater. Like you don't think, oh, Terminator was useless because of this what tonal shift. It, like I think the tone for Terminator works with those characters and that material, and I think this tone works with this like group of characters and, and this set of yeah, material it in the feels script. like a natural progression being that this is right. early 90s probably films with a late 80s feel to it so maybe that's part of it being that it's it's part of a different decade but mm-hmm. also it does feel right for the characters i think you're 100 right in the first film start to begins and it's a full story and this movie start to begins and you really don't even have to have seen the first film they kind of bring you up to speed you can kind of jump mm-hmm. into this one and know Kind of, they give you a, a kind of a, a kind of catch up on, on where our characters have been and what's going on with them, and the film works as a standalone. It works as kind of its own thing, and this is kind of what we've been waiting for. Because the first film, you're like, oh, we have to kill Sarah Connor because her son is important, and here we are meeting the son. So it's like exciting to meet right. like the character that's going to stand up against the robot. So the the plot definitely is i think it goes up a level and becomes just much more interesting right and and again good on you on on kind of setting me up here and lobbing that for me because yeah you you go from having just purely the theory right of of john connor and knowing about the story of him and his importance and now you get to kind of see him in his formative years and kind of building towards the leader of the resistance, even as just like a 10 year old kid with the way that he sees through the, the Terminator and, and, and humanizes him and sees him as a, a useful 
not just I, I'd say not even just like a, a useful cog for their mission, but saw how you could be he saw the humanity even in the Terminator, right? In in the machine, and that he could learn, right? And be more than what he was built to initially do. So to have that character come to life after you hear like it's you hear about the the theory of we we talk about all the time it's like the the show don't tell so here you finally get the show instead of all of the tell of what he could be and you see it in front of you and there's a really uh, satisfying payoff to seeing that happen in front of you yeah and i think you said it earlier but one of the biggest things this movie did is it made the villain from the original film into the the hero or the bodyguard the action star of the film and that's arnold schwarzenegger one of the biggest action heroes of probably film history all time definitely he's up there all time as far as especially this 80s macho big muscle bound guys but here he does it with some with some comedy too some great comedic lines some great comedic delivery and he becomes this great hero and anyone who's seen the original film he's he's terrifying he's very scary Mm. as you said the stalking presence and here he appears and they don't tell you right off the bat they almost make you kind of they almost kind of trick you into go what he's going to be and who seeing him reappear in this time right and that's kind of speaking to how well they did that that tonal shift because his depiction of the character is largely the same with subtle differences in the way that it's being received so in the first movie he's stalking his prey right and he's dead behind the eyes he's very robotic but in this film it he kind of becomes like a straight man for comedy because he's robotic but he's learning to not be a murderous cyborg it's like oh don't kill everyone he's like i'll just shoot them in the kneecaps oh he'll live it's fine it's it's kind of brilliant the way yeah. that they have him portray the same and just have it and it becomes different. almost like a buddy cop type when John yeah. Connor and the T you know T eight hundred the the Terminator yeah when they're like driving around together and he's like teaching him like basic social skills yeah it's pretty funny like you said how they converse but it never gets silly or ridiculous it still feels right for this robot kind of learning from this boy. Yeah, it's it's funny, but it's still grounded in the world. It it never felt like you came out of the 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 world of the film where you're like, this is too ridiculous. If you were trying to teach a a cyborg how to be more human, be like, yeah, stop saying affirmative, just say like all these different colloquialisms instead. Like it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and then to see him deliver it is just funny. I think one of the funniest moments they had in the movie, other than Bad to the Bone, which always tickles me whenever that mo- that song's played in any movie, is when he's he's like, you should you should smile more. You see that guy over there? He's smiling. And you see the, the Terminator processing what to do with his mouth to smile. And then seeing Arnold do it is he actually does f- fantastic work and just kind of act he's like he's like, yeah, that's great. Maybe do it in front of a mirror and work on it a little bit. But, but that's great. You're smiling. And it's great that he can let himself be the butt of the joke, which Arnold's never had a problem doing. You can tell he's got a good sense of humor that he can let himself be basically laughed at for the part. Right. Absolutely. There's there's definitely something to that, being able to embrace that. Yeah, totally. So we said the tonal shift. This movie is a larger than life action film, but I'd say it's 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 most known probably now dating back to 1991 for some of the visual effects, Mark. When people look at visual effects, they usually look at Jurassic Park, which was a Mm -hmm. big one. And you got Tron and a couple other movies in the 80s and 90s. But this is a key 
time for computer graphics. Is that something that you fondly remember about this film? I remember when I saw it, again, way too young to be watching it, but I remember when I saw it just being kind of blown away. And for a movie that is in its 30s, weird to say, I think it still holds up fairly well. Like, you can see the age on it, but for it to be 30 years old and still feel, like, pretty decent as far as visual effects, I think is is uh, a credit to... James Cameron, which is painful for me to say. I'm not a James Cameron hater overall, but credit where credit's due. They did phenomenal work with this movie, and for it to still be even remotely relevant 30 years later with how far we advance and how quickly we advance with CGI every, like, five years, it seems, at this point, is a stunning accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, you look at the history of CGI, and like you said, the advancements are happening quickly. And I remember a TV show from our youth, we might have been a little on the older side, and it was a show called Alex Mack, where this girl oh, the secret could, world of Alex Mack. Where she could turn into this like puddle whenever she wanted very, to. Very T one thousand influenced. Very yeah, much right. so. But yeah, like yeah, yeah. but at that point a TV show was doing it with ease, and that was like probably five years after this. If I had to guess, it was probably five to ten years after this show this movie yeah. came out. I think it's exactly five, I think you're right. Yeah, it might have been mid to late nineties, and then we're watching shows on the CW now, like whether it's Flash or Arrow or any of these shows, and they're doing computer graphics like it's nothing. On a week-to-week right. show, a show that's 40 minutes long, and they're throwing in computer graphics that blow this out of the water. But like you said, getting back in the mentality of being probably far too young watching this film when I was 10 years old or so on some, some sort of cable channel, it was really cool seeing this, like you said, this liquid form who can shapeshift. And it was it was menacing, it was terrifying, and it was really cool. Oh, yeah, definitely really cool. And, like, we talk about how Arnold Schwarzenegger is, like, slightly robotic. Robert Patrick's also really robotic. We talked about it right before we started recording here, but I think it was it's one of the great reveals that the Terminator is the protector in this film versus being the antagonist and the the murderer, for lack of a better term, for the first film. But you never really truly feel that the T-1000 is, like, a good guy just because Robert Patrick just looks like such a piece of shit. Well, like, he looks menacing. He looks slightly <laughs> dead behind the eyes. Well, it's if, like, you, if you go in with the knowledge that he also... His, his, previous acting credit was in Die Hard playing one of the terrorists. Right. So if you have that knowledge as well, you're like, all right, he went from being a foreign, I think he played like a European, I forgot where they, where they were from, terrorist in Die Hard, now to being right. this crazy, psychotic, murdering cyborg robot in Terminator 2, you start to like think this guy's probably a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think he's been typecast. I also thought it was interesting, I had forgotten that the friend of John Connor was played by Danny Cooksey, who, if we're talking about shows from our youth, he played Budnick in, in Salute Your Shorts. So just seeing him like, oh my god, it's Budnick, this is crazy. I, for I completely had forgotten that he was in the, the movie, and basically just playing the same part that he plays. Yeah, the, um, the hair, but the also, hair is de there's definitely the signature hair. The signature hair, but also like really a good friend. Like he sees he sees the the T one thousand comes like, hey, have you do you know this this kid? He's like, no, I, I don't know. And he's like, yo, you should probably get out of here. <laughs> this this weird cop is looking for you. 
And then, like, one more thing's like, hey, I think I found the guy you're looking for. He gets shoved to the side. That's like, that's a homie right there. Yeah, he was Shout typecast out. as well. <laughs> yeah. Shout. But he's like a good friend in this one while he's like kind of uh, an annoying, conniving little POS in uh, Salute Your Shorts. So. <laughs> shout out to the true homies the true homies no i i love it and there's the cast here we can talk about the cast i mean you have linda hamilton back and right i think she's, she's great, great in, in these films i mean she's so good and this one in particular starting in like the insane asylum and seeing mm. like the different side different type of character she has to play in this she's evolved so much from the first one the first film she's sort of reactive to what's happening in this scared woman right. where in this time she's like ready she's prepared she's been preparing her whole life for this what seems like the last decade or so right and she's this this tough badass woman yeah fully like fully formed and i think that's accurate to it doesn't feel inauthentic the first movie she's given this knowledge of you're this woman you're gonna birth this son he's gonna be this important and then it's through finding that strength in the first movie that she realizes I have to be strong not only for myself, but for my son and the importance of what he's going to do for the world. And she's kind of in between that right now in when we open the film as she's in this psychiatric facility and kind of locked away and she's keeping her body and her mind strong, trying to get, get out of there so she can see her son. But also you can tell from the early interactions with John Connor that from a young age with him, she was instilling all these diff these different lessons and this knowledge of like this is what you're facing, this is what you're going to be. You have to be become strong mentally and physically and all of that. So I I think she's such a a great fully formed character, and especially when we think about it, we talked about how important her role was as she kind of developed through the first film for women in movies. Then I think even more so thinking early '90s, like you didn't have the plethora of strong female characters. So to have like a truly badass, fully formed independent character like Sarah Connor, like Linda Ham Hamilton is playing is just awesome to see. Yeah. And I, I love, like you said, how her character was written. It seems yeah. like the natural evolution for her character. And I think she does such a good job with it. I mean, her acting chops, I feel like she never probably had the career that she probably deserved. I feel like she'll mm -hmm. always be remembered for this part in this series and really not much else, unfortunately. Right. But I, I think she does a heck of a job with this movie, and I think the movie is a success because of, yes, Arnold. Arnold is fantastic, and he's charismatic, as, as charismatic, charismatic as a robot can be. But I think Linda Hamilton is kind of like the heart of this film as this the, the soldier, the battle-tested mother who's got to protect her son. It's really, uh, It's really great. Yeah, there, there are two connections to the first film. You have her and you have Arnold, right? Arnold is the character that changes over and completely flips the script. So to have that connection to the first film, you you see it through her eyes, right? Even though John and the Terminator's relationship and, and his character is probably more central to this film, since you see the realized actual human John Connor... It, you're still kind of in the perspective of Linda, Ham Linda Hamilton's Sarah Connor as like the connection to the first film, as yes. the narrator, as just providing that knowledge and that crossover as a viewer. Well, I love that you said from her eyes, from her point of view, because yeah. when she is in the psychiatric ward and she's escaping, and then Arnold 
is actually walking towards her. Right. And you just like you get I'm getting the chills just thinking about that scene because it's so well done because she doesn't know that mm-hmm. Arnold's good. She doesn't know that this one is reprogrammed and sent back as a good Terminator. And it's so cool to see how that sequence plays out. It's so well done. It's such a mind F to the audience, but also a mind oh, yeah. F to, to your lead star. Right. And she plays that really well because throughout that entire sequence up to her escape, she is just balls to the wall, badass, right? Like you see her just doing pull-ups, readying her body. She's readying her mind. She's trying to play the role of reformed person that's given up on her psych- psychological break so that she can see her son again. And then she snaps and you see her strength as she's trying to escape and then seeing the Terminator again in front of her just completely takes her back and makes her revert and kind of fall to pieces a little bit. Yeah, that's a great right. that's a great pickup that she she just like becomes crippled. She's just right. in fear again. She just gets zapped back to that time in her life. And it's it's really well done. I think that whole sequence and there's so many fantastic sequences and quotes from this film. I mean, this movie is so quotable and more quotable than the original film. There's more signature sequences. I mean, I think about that first chase scene in that it's like, I don't know if it's like a, an alleyway. I don't know what you call that. It's not a highway. It's like they're in this like tubing type, isn't it? Like, yeah, very Grease esque. It's very um, Grease esque. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know what you'd call that because they don't have those here on Long Island in New York. No, they have those in GTA. I know I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've almost done like some something of them you skateboard in. But anyway, yeah. you got. You know, him on the motorcycle, Arnold, and then you got this truck with the T-1000, and it's just really cool. The T-1000 is in the truck trying to chase down John yes. Connor, and then you have Arnold chasing the truck. On the bike. Um, On the bike. Yes. And getting in front, pulling John Connor off his bike, and then just coolly flipping the shotgun around, shooting that tire. Awesome. Oh, that's a great sequence. It's, it's fantastic. It's, that's one of, like, the great, I feel like, all-time action scenes in, like, movie history. And there's a few other really good scenes in the film. And they do a great job of keeping the action steady, the plot steady, the story. You almost care less about the mother in this. They purposely do that, where it's like the Mm -hmm. son is all that matters. Right. And it makes the other characters almost feel expendable. It makes the Terminator and Sarah feel expendable because the son is our savior. He's the one that's going to save us all. And it's really interesting where kind of your feelings are as the audience. Yeah, they they have her kind of. I don't. I don't think it's truly just pa- like passing the torch, but kind of defer to her son, even though he's ten years old. Being like, okay, you have strong feelings about this. I'm gonna let you you do this and, and let this play out because you're. I I think you're you are who they tell me you're gonna be, and now it's time to try to start to find out if that's if that's the case. Yeah, and trusting his judgment a little bit. It's really cool. judgment. See, I did it. We there, tied it together. There, you brought it we back. <laughs> and the other thing, Mark, is throughout all this action, throughout all this movie, you have the, the, the soundtrack, the theme, the music playing. What do you think of the, the music and the soundtrack of this film? So the, the, the theme is really iconic at this point, right? For anyone that's a fan of the Terminator series there, or the Terminator character. I think this is like since it's the early 90s 80s was very synth heavy in a lot of different films particularly like the horror genre but even crossed over into some mainstream films i think this is kind of like the last remnants of having like a heavily synth based soundtrack in a mainstream 
popcorn summer blockbuster type of film now you really only hear this type of synth heavy music in like even like b not even like really you know a horror films i think like more like b or indie type of horror films you hear more synth heavy types of soundtracks and that type of musical composition i think it still works here but i think it's interesting that you can use this movie at least in my mind as like a line in the sand like a clear-cut line of demarcation of this is the end of like synth heavy synth heavy soundtracks in major motion pictures as far as like summer blockbusters yeah you're 100 right i never thought about it in that context because the music, if you tried to put this in any other film, especially anything made after this, it would almost cheapen it or make it feel yeah. like some B or C film. And it works here. And I don't think it's, it's an issue or problem for the film, but you're right. It's very much of its time and very much almost stopped here as far as good films are concerned. If you try to put right. this in a film you want to take seriously, it would come off as, as cheesy. Yeah. And I think that also has to do with, we talk about how there was the advancements that we've made in, in, in like CGI, but even think about like gaming and like, like eight bit games and music versus like even getting to a PlayStation where you had actual music. I think that's where the, you allow the tonal shift and where budget comes into play is that you could get music in this film, even just for a small part, like bad to the bone where in the first film, you don't have the budget to get secured like additional music rights. Well, the budget um, went from like I think five or ten million on the first film to right to close a, to a hundred. A hundred, which was the biggest budget of any film at this point. So right. you're talking about yeah, the actors, the music, the the CGI. This stuff costs big money. Right. Exactly. So yeah, I think it's interesting to th to look at it from that soundtrack perspective as transitional, and also just as far as time periods. You, the 80s were very synth heavy like in there was so much synth music both in a popular perspective from movie soundtrack perspective tv soundtracks like you think like miami vice heavily synth heavy night rider i was thinking night rider yeah absolutely right, very synth heavy and like it dates it because that was heavy, heavily used in that time period, and then it just dropped off completely. I don't think it's necessarily a criticism of synth music, but n now it's kind of, it has maybe a slightly poor reputation because it's only used in like indie or or like B horror films. Or if someone's trying part. to make like an '80s homage now in 2022, mm -hmm. they'll play music that 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 has that kind of feel to it. So I. I absolutely agree with you. I think it functions for the film. I think it functions well. And, you know, we have to talk about, Mark, the, the James Cameron in the room, which is... Right. We've talked about Titanic. We haven't talked about Avatar. We've talked about Alien, which he's involved in that franchise. I believe Ridley Scott was the original. He did the second right. film. Right. And here he is again um, making a sequel film that is a big success. It's a monster film. And... I'm not always the biggest James Cameron fan, but you have to say hats off to the guy here for having the the, the foresight, I think, because he helped write it as well, to take a film seven years later and almost shake up the whole formula of what the original film was. Right. I, there's a lot that goes into making these types of films, but especially when you're writing it. I think there's a quote by Tarantino talking about like how long it took him to make Inglorious Bastards. He said, like, I, I thought that the the pen like the what 
the pen to the paper would become like too precious so he just kept writing too much and he said the movie was going to end up being like five hours long he's like i i thought everything was too precious and it took me like time to kind of pare it down so i think f from a writing perspective to have and this is not something we usually I'll, i'm not going to speak for you that i usually associate with james cameron is having the self-awareness to be like okay the first movie worked but i think we can take it in a different direction and have it work this way and kind of make that shift in storytelling that that's not something that's easy to do like as much as we like star wars as a as a franchise for that original three the first three movies are pretty similar it's like empire is a little bit darker than the other two but it's still it still feels like it doesn't feel like a, a complete tonal shift necessarily at least as we're looking at it this is completely different so yeah there's a, a huge credit to james cameron to be able to kind of work his own story and material in a completely different way and be open to that type of transition and shift yeah there's very few films i could think of that do this kind of maneuver and i I, my mind goes to Indiana Jones, which right. there is a shift there and it's a much darker film, but I still think it still feels more consistent within the Indiana Jones trilogy. And you notice I just said trilogy. I didn't talk about any other right. films. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But here, this movie, I think, feels more different than the first film than, than most other franchises out there. And I think that's, I think it's a credit to him. I think it's a, it's a great film. I think it's, I think it's his best. People might prefer a film like Titanic. People might prefer a film like Avatar. I think this is his, I hate to say masterpiece, but I think it's his, his best complete film as far as what he accomplished, what he did, what was so impactful at its time. And as far as rewatchability and enjoyment, as, a, as you called a popcorn flick, I think this movie checks all those boxes. Yeah, I think... If we talk about just uh, pure accomplishment, maybe Titanic is his top film to me. Lots of people would say Avatar. I'm just not. I, I just it never resonated with me that way. But if we look at it under the full context of where it was in relation to its predecessor, yeah, this might be the bigger accomplishment if we take all the factors into play about you know, changing the storytelling and he making He did it the same thing with Aliens, and I don't right. think it worked as well. People do like the second film, and it's, it is one of the higher reviewed and enjoyed and rated of the Alien franchise. Right. I still think it was a drop in quality. I don't think it had the same exact feel as the first. Here, I think he takes his own film and adapts it, changes it, and I think it works out better. So it's it's funny mm -hmm. how that worked for this franchise. Yeah. Well, if you look at the first one, it's it's really drawn by the chemistry of Sarah and and Kyle Reese, and the desperation in what kind of brings them together in conceiving John Connor. Essentially, still such a weird plot point for you to send your father back in time to be like, "Here's my mom, make me." Uh, <laughs> so weird. It, it worked. But it's still weird. And then to transition into this one, what was going to be the heart of the film, to have it be like a buddy film between a reforming cyborg and a 10-year-old kid sounds weird. Like, yeah. the and 80s and 90s are just full of these weird have, pitches. Yeah, and then at the end, you have this 10-year-old kid being like, no, I don't want him to go. Don't kill him. And Arnold, the, the Terminator, being like, 
you have to do this. If not, right. Skynet can you know do something to me. And Sarah Connor being like, I know it needs to be done. And right. it's it's sad. It's somehow like gut wrenching that they made this about the kid and the relationship between the Terminator, mm -hmm. who almost became like his pseudo father, father figure. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting the dynamic and how that works. So it's 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 a really interesting film to look at why it works and how it works because it, I feel like it could have been a mess in so many ways, but it, it was a monster success, Mark. I mean, TriStar Pictures, it's their biggest film to date. The film did over 500 million in the box office off of a hundred million budget, which I think anyone would take five to one as far as your, your revenue. And then it became actually one of the top grossing rated R films of all time. It's still in the top 10, I believe, of, of all time grossing rated R films. And it's, yes, it's been knocked off by a lot of superhero and Marvel and blockbusters since then. But when this came out, this was actually the second highest opening weekend after 1989's Batman. So people were rushing out to see this film because it, it interested a lot of people. Yeah, it piqued their interest. And I think people were rewarded for their curiosities, right? Some, a lot of times you'll, you can have that that type of draw on opening weekends but for this to have like the staying power that it did both in the box office and now retrospectively uh, still being looked at fondly is a credit to everyone involved with the project they did a, a great job they took a story and took what you knew about it and flipped it on its ear both with the characters and also just the storytelling itself so it's a great it's a great movie like we went over before one of the great sequels of all time, maybe the greatest sequel of all time. It's definitely in the conversation. If it's not the top sequel of all time, it's right there. Yeah. Um, or maybe just really, the biggest improvement over the original. Right. Even if you say it's not the greatest right. sequel, maybe the best, biggest improvement over the original film. Absolutely. And it's, it's a credit to James Cameron having the wherewithal to just completely pivot a story. I just, I can't get over. I just wanted to just talk briefly again about if you're talking about this, the overall pitch of these movies, the first one is <laughs> robots sent back in time to murder young woman. Son sends father back in time to bang his mom. This movie is robots sent back in time to murder child. Other robot from first movie sent back in time to kill other robot and protect kid become best friend has to go and kill himself at the end. Yeah, when you put it that way, Mark, this is not a film that I'd want to see or I would think was even remotely successful. Right. Well, people jokingly refer to how weird Back to the Future is, but just look at both of these movies separately. Sure. If you look at just loose plot points, you're like, these are wild. Like, so far out there. They, they, they definitely picked the right moment in time to come back to. You're meeting the kid. You know, yeah. sending Arnold back, meeting them at this point. And the rest of the films, the rest of the Terminator franchise, because Terminator 2 really made it now a franchise. It became right. marketing, action figures, video games that didn't really exist much after the first film. This made it action figures, toys, games. Theme park rides. Theme park at yeah, Universal. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that great was, theme park ride. Sure. And after the first film, that it didn't really catch on as much. And right. then we got this whole franchise. We got a third film. We got a fourth film. And the third one, I always thought in premise, like if you're just going to say the plot, it sounds like it'd be the most interesting one because it's about the day that the robots turn on them. Yep. And like that always seemed like, I think they call it D-Day. That always seemed like the most interesting point if they mm -hmm. ever did another film. 
and they continue to make these films and they become, I think, lesser and lesser. I've enjoyed aspects and parts of each of them. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on, on Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And then you have, I believe the next one was Salvation. Salvation. The, the Christian Bale film. We've had Dark With Fate, the Genesis. The famous the Bale. The famous flip out. The, the, the rant. And I, I don't think any of these films are going to make our Hall of Fame. But what do you think about some of these? I, I, I agree with you. With Terminator 3, it's it was very interesting and compelling to think, oh, we're going to get to see the day. But they kind of, since well, I'm going to tie it all together here, at the end of the movie, they they kind of did like a their gift is knowledge type of thing. They're it's supposed like, to lose. Right. They're like, no, we were never sent here to, to stop it. We were just sent here to survive it. I'm like, all right, dude, jeez. And that was like the <laughs> Terminator equivalent. I yeah, felt like the it was a equivalent of the gift is, Their gift was knowledge. Yeah. It's like, oh, God. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think T3, Terminator 3, it was even called T3, whatever it was called. I don't think it was a bad film. It just No, wasn't. I don't think it's egregious either. No, but it wasn't up to this level. Um, The most recent Terminator I actually didn't think was bad. It just tanked at the box office and that just cratered any possibility of there being more movies which i was slightly disappointed in because they left it open to kind of continue along that path and that i think it was an alternate universe and i was i, I wouldn't say excited feels like too strong of a word but i was compelled to see like where they were going to go from there but i doubt we'll ever see another sequel just based on the performance I, I don't want to strongly say I doubt it because when you have a franchise and a license that is marketable you in know, the like, near future, I'll, I think I'll amend I, it. yes, I agree with you. I think we're not getting something next year. I, I thought Terminator three was was serviceable. I think obviously mm-hmm. it was not as good as two, and it'd right. be difficult to to try and be as good as two. But I thought it was a serviceable film that that copped out in certain aspects of the plot. I think Salvation. I really enjoyed the Sam. That was kind of when Sam Worthington was kind of like. And his like two or three year high when he was like in every right. action film he between was. Avatar that he did that other Greek mythology movie I forgot the name of that one. I've also forgotten, but I yeah. know what you're talking about. Yes. yeah, he was he was he was he like was, all over the place then. He was everywhere for a few years, and I, I'm always a big Christian Bale fan. And I thought, wow, seeing the actual battle and seeing John Connor win this could be a cool like two or three movies, but we didn't really get to see the payoff for that because the film wasn't really loved. It was a great trailer though. It it was a really good trailer. And we got after that, the hot mess that is Terminator Genesis, which, which brought back Arnold's. They were riding the hive. I believe that was the Amelia Clark film. And it just really didn't work. I tried to like it so much, Mark. And I just, yeah, I struggled to enjoy it. And the last one, dark fate was not a bad movie. Dark fate. Wasn't bad. Yeah. I I left it saying, bringing him, it was kind of like how I felt with the new Ghostbusters. After I watched them, I'm like, oh, that wasn't bad. And that's how I felt with, with, with Terminator Dark Fate, where I was like, okay, they did good things. Linda Hamilton, they did things here, there. Right. They bring back Linda Hamilton, and God, it's, I sound like a James Cameron fanboy this podcast, but they brought back James Cameron. I'm like, oh, there's a, there seems to be a vision here yeah. of, of where they want to go. And then it just tanked in the, in the box. I'm like, no it one cared. It didn't do well. And like, that was like a month apart from hearing like, oh, um, Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back to, you know, the the, the Jason's stories, and I was oh, right. Mike. Is that Mike Myers? I'm sorry, am I mixing Mike up? Mike Myers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's like oh, I'm like oh, they're bringing back all these these old franchises, and they're bringing back the key women from those stories. This is great. Right. But you're right. It's probably going to be, if I had to guess, five years. Maybe it becomes a TV series, the next one, a better TV series than the last one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what the, what you do with the franchise, but 
But this was the peak. Terminator 2 was, was the tops of this franchise. I think there's plenty of life, plenty of things you could do yeah. with this franchise. You could spin off, go in different ways, say that they went through time again and try and redo all different things, which they, they kind of did with the last couple. But I think there's so much life in this franchise and this movie, this this one in particular showed that there's there's so much story to tell with these characters. This was definitely the peak of of this series, this franchise. But it, I, I, again, don't want to say that that's a, a derogatory sentence necessarily. It's just like, it's a, it's a really high peak. It's very well thought of. It's lived on to be revered now, 30 years into its life as a, as a film. And for a movie that relies heavily on CGI and special effects, watching it, like, in the year 2022, I didn't think it, it it held up poorly. I think it held up pretty well. I agree. Because you have... It's another one of those things where if you have, like, really great CGI, but you also have uh, a good underlying story, that relationship we were talking about between John Connor and the T-800, that's what's going to make the movie work for longer. I don't think if you, have, if you don't have that type of the relationship or the really great performance talking about, like, the the strength and simultaneous fragility of Sarah Connor with what was happening in the psychiatric facility. If you don't have all those different underlying story storylines and, and connections, then the movie wouldn't have held up as well as it did. Yeah. I think if you're just resting on five minutes of CGI to be your, what's going to hold you through the film, then yeah, I think it's not going to age well and the film won't work, but it's not really, it's not really resting on that. That just happens to be something that was unique and really cool at the time. And I agree with you. It hasn't aged all that awfully where it, it hurts the film. It's everything else that really works here. That really makes it a, a, an interesting plot, great characters, characters that you've now a couple of them you've known for, for, for another, since another, since the prequel film. So you're, you're really now invested in these characters and you're invested in this over the top, action story and i i think it's an easily still rewatchable film in 2022 i think it's one of those films that if it's on tv you're gonna watch a bit of it yeah you're definitely gonna watch it It, it's it has some great sequences as far as visuals like we're talking about it's got a lot of great quotes that have kind of crossed over into like the culture like crossed into the cultural zeitgeist so yeah, it's it's an iconic film and certainly worthy of induction into the Hall of Fame for sure. Yeah, it is. So Terminator Judgment Day, or as the marketing said, T2 is now a part of the ever, ever prestigious Hall of Fame movie podcast. So we thank you, Terminator 2, and we thank you, Mark, for joining us on the pod as always where can the internet find you? So I am still on Twitch at twitch.tv slash ursusfidelis and on social media at twitter.com or instagram.com slash ursusfidelistv. Awesome. So guys, this was our 49th episode of the Hall of Fame movie podcast. We're getting we're inching closer to that big 50 mark. So I wanted to say an actual thank you to Mark. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, check out the whole back catalog. Uh, is It is evergreen, as they call it, so you can listen to any of our previous episodes. They only get better each time you listen to them. So please do tune in, check them all out, watch some good movies, 
and we will see you guys all next time. See you guys next time. From Mark and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time. <laughs>